around 56, 57 AD, while Paul, in his third missionary journey, had desired to get out there. He was desiring to go through on his third missionary journey. And so he was in Corinth, and he was writing to the churches and the Christians in Rome. And this is the discussion that he was having. It really is his many, many doctrinal positions of how he views the gospel lived out in life. But he was talking to the church, to be sure, so that, as Brian had said in one of his things, so they could take the message out somewhere else. It wasn't just for them to keep inside. Certainly, it was for them to do something with in their own hearts and in the church. Right? If they did do something with that message, they took it out. It addresses the doctrines of faith that, that wholly remember the promises of God. And if you haven't seen Pastor Doug's message from last week, if you're new or if you weren't here, he talked about embracing the promises of God. And as we practice, who are the promises of God for? Everybody. And somebody says Jesus. Right. Yeah, so that's okay. Everybody. Everybody that believes in Jesus, the promises of God are for. And that's the point. And it was revealed through Jesus, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his promise that he made to his people. And then he carries it on, and he says, okay, well, as we move into where we were last week and kind of transition for the next week, what's God's sovereignty look like? What's God's sovereignty look like? So as we walk into this, I want to have you open your Bibles. We're going to start in Romans 1. So Romans 1, the first therefore statement is going to be out of Romans 1, 24 and 25. So as you guys get in there, Romans, four or five books in from the New Testament. Verse 24 says, therefore, and we know because we're a church that believes in teaching people God's truth. When you see therefore, you ask, what's it there for? Right? So therefore, these are going to be the five pillars that are going to launch us into these topics. Okay? So it says, therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creator or the creature rather than the creator who blessed, who is blessed forever. Amen. And because that's true, I would ask you this question. If you, if you think about this, let's be honest. Um, we think here that we are better than these people here, whoever those, those people are. And, and even in our lives here, we think we're better than the other people. I had a challenging week, and I will tell you that many times there was that back and forth where I thought, this isn't right. I'm better than this situation or this circumstance. And ultimately, God helped break me of that through the week, culminating in, surprise, how about you go up and talk about God's word? It's hard to be focused on your circumstances and to look at other people and go, I'm better than you when you're forced into a role of speaking and teaching his word. Would you agree? So how, and I want you guys' feedback on this. How do you think that viewing people as different. I almost want to walk around because I don't have this thing on my face now. I almost want to walk around and ask you, how do you see viewing people differently as hindering God's grace? You can shout it out or you can raise your hand or whatever. Whatever you want to do on our D group, we just yell at people. Yes. Okay, to so connect what Jamie said, she said Jesus didn't even equate himself as equal to the Father, but he came to 
to serve, not to be served. So who are we in the position of, of believers as God's chosen people to think other? Wait, we can't think apart from it. John, you want to say something? So John says, God's grace is for every people, everybody everywhere. We're all in the same boat. We're all messed up. But is it? I mean, you don't, you don't know the things I've done. You don't know the things I've done. He does. But you don't know the things that they've done. You don't know about that guy in the corner there that's, that's selling drugs. You don't, you don't know about him. You don't know about, about this girl who's come from an abusive home and is, is leading a life of sin. You don't know. But he does. What would it look like if we saw people that way? Why would we, the chosen people that are eating and feasting on the word of God, be the stumbling blocks in the lives of people that need to hear about him? Why would we do that? Why do we hinder God's grace? And that's what this point addresses. Yeah. I love that. For the of you guys in here, um, Alba said, if we see ourselves as better than other people, then other people see us as not even needing God's grace to begin with. And so why should they trust anything that we believe? It's that example that we're supposed to set. And I would encourage you this way, too. That's a great point. Thank you. Because you can, you can go to all these classes, right? We have, we have the Old Testament class. We're going to have the New Testament class in the spring. And I encourage you to talk to me or Doug about that, and we can get you hooked up with that. But we can go to these classes, we can pursue degrees, we can even, you can teach classes, you can do all kinds of stuff, but if you're doing it because of a paycheck, if you're doing it because of status, if you're doing it because people are going to say to you, wow, good job, pastor, it's about you, and this is not about you. Heads up, kids, front row group, get this, the Bible is not about you, I'm really talking to myself, okay, the Bible is not about you. It is for you. It's about Jesus on the cross and what he did in God's plan from the beginning to draw Jesus into the lives of every soul, every tongue, every nation, every tribe. But he can only do that through his grace because we're pretty good at blocking that. And I was thinking about this too. November 17th, no, I'm sorry, November 22nd, 1992 at 2 p.m. in the Northern Arizona University Choir Room was the first time that someone gave me a Bible and they wrote this little thing on it. That's how I remember it. And I was just first exposed to the word of God then. And I thought I was saved. I wasn't actually saved until God used the birth of my oldest in April of 05. So take a look and see what seeds are planted. And only through God's grace did that grow into a man who stands before you and, and proclaims God's truth humbly, knowing I am nothing without him. Amen? So. Second, therefore, second, therefore, go to Romans 2, Romans 2, verse 1. Turn the page if you have to. I have the, uh, I can't see very well because I'm getting old Bible, so it's like every verse is a page, it seems like now. <laughs> Romans chapter 2, verse 1, therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges, for in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, Practice the very same things. And because that is true, 
fundamentally, why, why is our judgment wrong then? And, and why is our judgment of God as one who judges the world wrong too? Like what? So those are two questions I ask you. Why is our judgment just fundamentally wrong? And then why would we see God's judgment of the world as wrong as well? What do you think? Say it again. Okay, so we're corrupt. We probably could do another whole sermon, right, on just what it means to be corrupt. And just in any way you think in your mind what that word means to you, the answer is yes, right? What else? Okay, so Scott says God's wrath is righteous on sin, and we all need a Savior because all of us, to Adam's first point, are corrupt in our sin. So it's a good if-then progression, right? It's, so those are the two questions we ask. Anybody else have a thought about why, why would our judgment be wrong according to what the Bible says? So my sweet wife said, we have a flexible standard about right and wrong. And so what I believe could be wrong may not be what you believe to be wrong. Okay? I don't know. By, if you want, by show of hands, anybody read Respectable Sins by Jerry Bridges? Even the title of the book should make you go, hmm. Right? Respectable Sins. Well, you know what, Jeff? I, I don't murder anybody. Right? I don't sell drugs in the corner. I, I don't go around drinking and driving and running over small kids at a park. So therefore, when I lie to my spouse about what I'm doing after work, or therefore, when I decide I'm going to, you know, maybe take advantage of a discount that wasn't given to me, that's not as bad as the other people, right? Does God in his word give us a standard, yes or no? Is that standard to my sweet wife's question and answer, is it flexible? Is God flexible? Trick question. Ooh, it's a hard question to ask, right? So is God flexible in altering his, his standard? No. Does he offer us grace? Absolutely. So it is God's grace to get to the end of what Scott had opened for us and jumping off of what Adam helped us with and what my sweet wife then highlighted. It's God's grace that brings us to a point where we see our judgment can't ever be used except really just to reveal our own sin really for ourselves. And God's judgment in his grace, you know, people say all the time that these people should be wiped out, and I can't believe you saved this. Pastor, like I said this, and we agree as an elder team, he shouldn't have saved any of us. God's judgment should have taken us all out. It's by his grace that he saves even one of us. And if you're sitting here saved and understand the power of that grace, can you say amen? amen. Can you say amen? amen? Because if there's anyone here that doesn't know that, I want you to listen and see, and if you don't have that in your heart. I want you to find me. I want you to find any number of these people, these kids, the adults that said amen. And you ask them, how is it that you know that everything that you've done, God's standard still forgives. And God's standard still loves. And God, because he has a standard, still cannot forego that punishment. That's why he put Jesus on a cross. How is that possible? And then do what our brother Brian said in prayer and tell them. Tell them. And because that's true, let's go to our third pillar, Romans 5. Romans 5. 
Romans 5, verse 1 reads, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And because that's true, I'll ask this question. How are peace with God and the peace of God related? So, how, how is having peace with God and the peace of God related? Okay, so Audra said, because God has promised his peace, we know that as we have his peace and believe in it, then we can see our situations as believing his peace and making the situations good. Is that, did I compromise a little bit on that, Amy? Mm. So that was a big deal, what she just said. If you only trust God when things are going well, you miss actual peace of God that gives you peace of your heart when things aren't going well. So that was the thing we talked about. Did you want to say something, Scott? So the peace of God, that transaction, he launches us into that, that second part of the question. What is justification? Right? Isn't it just what he talked about? What, what is justification? What would you guys say justification is? Scott says the cross of Jesus Christ. Okay, well, that's, the answer is the cross of Jesus Christ. I get that. But I always heard it. We had an old Bible teacher, my sweet wife and I, and we always said the word justification should mean just as if I. Just as if I've never sinned. And I never forgot that. Justification. Just as if I've never sinned. Well, that's not possible. It is possible. Read God's word. See the historical fact of the cross that they hung my Savior on for my sin. Okay? I have done things in 20 years in police work that haven't always been the right thing to do. And I've always said, yeah, I made a mistake. And sometimes I've been written up. Sometimes I've been punished. But I had to take the punishment for my sin. I had the ultimate sin against the God who created everybody, right? And I should righteously be punished. But I'm justified because Jesus took it for me. And that's really what the book of Romans is all about, the righteousness of God in its majesty. So you think about why that's such a big deal. Without justification, without what Scott was saying, without a blood atonement, which is the righteous judgment on sin against us, right? That's, that's a blood for blood. It's an eye for an eye. Read the Old Testament again. I encourage you, okay? Without that, without that justification, we're in trouble. 
And I don't just mean trouble here. I mean, as Jamie had read in that wonderful exposition about the persecuted church, we should fear not that person who can take the body, but the one who can take the body and the soul. Two things are eternal, right? Pastor Darwin talks about it. The word of God and the souls of people. And if we don't have that, if we're not justified, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. In fact, it is the biggest deal. And so when we look with eyes that are casting judgment or scorn or dismay or disappointment, or as the same Bible teacher said, the five Ds of the devil, doubt, disappointment, depression, discouragement, discontentment. When we look with those five Ds upon people or circumstances in our lives, we are getting rid of. We're literally knocking over the cross of Christ. I want you to have that picture, people. When you walk over and you're going to knock over the cross of Christ, you better get back up there on it yourself. That's what justification means, and that's what it does. And then it gives you that peace. The peace of God is done through the justification of God through his son on the cross. Now I look at my, my circumstances this week and I go, well, of course. Of course it was going to be this way. Of course God wanted to break me of me in this moment. And you guys, I'm sure, have situations much harder than I do. And you need to say, of course God put you there. Like, look at my brother here who was, uh, who was connected with Billy. I met him yesterday, right? Of course God put you here today. Of course he did. Because faithful people down in Mexico, Farron and Taylor, met somebody who was the mom of this guy and said, you should come check out a church that talks about God's word. Amen. But it's about God's word. And remember, on this pillar, if we're not willing to highlight the justification, then we darn well better be willing to get up on that cross ourselves. And since we're not, we should say amen over and over again about the blood of our Savior, okay? The blood of Jesus, as Jamie said, is enough. Always has been, always will be. So that leads us to our fourth pillar. And we talked about this. This is something where if Pastor Doug was here, he would spend a great deal of time rightly talking about why Romans 8, and that's where I want you to go next, why Romans 8 is fundamentally, as he said, others have mentioned, the key chapter in the whole Bible. In fact, it was something that, and I would encourage you, you YouTubers, again, I'm kind of a Piper guy, but if you were to look at some of the things that John Piper says, he actually has memorized the entire chapter of Romans 8, and he does it from memory, and that's, that was really how he started his sermon one day. And I can't even watch the YouTube video and not cry, because the passion of the words of Christ just being given through a vessel. Piper would rightly say that he is simply a vessel for the grace and majesty of Christ. The, the passion that you see in this chapter is amazing. And you know why it's amazing? Well, it's the word of God. Yeah, that's a good answer. But let me tell you about the fourth therefore. Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Ain't, let me say it again. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. I'm telling you right now, we don't do this justice. And we, the reason we don't do it justice is because we use English words. <laughs> Truth. If you were to read this the way it was written, guys, give me, some, give me some ideas about what the word condemnation means to you. So damnation. What else? Death. Guilty. Shame, oh, 
shame? Do you, do you realize, before we move on, do you realize how powerful an enemy shame can be in your life? Do you realize that when you're struggling, so my D group people will attest to this. I was under heavy attack on Wednesday, right before my D group. And you say, well, of course you were. Right, but I'm talking about like extra, extra, extra. And I didn't, I told my wife, I said, I don't want anybody coming over. Nope. I'm going to go and put my head in a pillow and cry. And she said, we're having dinner soon. Like, get that out now. Okay, so it was wonderful. My, my sweet wife doesn't let me stay where I am, but pointed me right back to the cross. Do you realize what shame will do? Do you realize that when you feel like you're alone, you don't want God's word. You don't want the people of God's word. And you don't want someone else saying to you, brother, it'll be okay. You don't want that. What do you need? All of those things. You need someone brave enough to go to you and go, right, let's have dinner and let's talk. You need someone that loves you enough to put their arm around you and go, hey, where you are is not where you're going to stay. Because you are not condemned. Okay? Again, as a police officer, I've been in trials, and I've watched, when I was a homicide detective, I would sit in these trials, and I would listen to the verdict pronounced over guilty people for murder. They were condemned. They were given life sentences. Life sentence. Do you know, people, that if you don't have Christ in your life, you have already been given a life sentence of death. See? Even the baby gets it. If you don't get this fact, then this doesn't mean anything to you. If you don't understand that, therefore, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. That whatever the accuser says to you is a lie, and it is, even if it's true, it doesn't matter because Jesus said, paid. If my brother Mo was here, he'd laugh. Ha! Why? Because I told him one time, I said, I want you to picture Jesus, for us older people, in the library at the card catalog system, right? The kids are going, that's not on my iPhone anywhere. Right. Listen to the story. Imagine Jesus having the card catalog for every person that ever existed ever. And every card had a sin that every person ever did ever. Ever. And any person that ever will be and any sin that they've ever done and another one ever that they've ever had. And he takes a card out and you're there. And you're waiting for him to get to your cards because you know, like, he maybe has, you know, maybe he has, like, Pastor Doug's maybe could be like this. But I know he's going to get to mine. It's going to be, like, it's going to take all day to get through that stuff, right? And then Jesus takes it out. He looks at it. He looks at my card. And he takes his hand. He goes, and it says, paid. Throws it away. And the next one he takes out and goes, paid with the blood from his hands. Paid, 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 paid. There is no condemnation. It's been paid by his blood. And the only response I can say is amen, hallelujah, if I'm not already in a pile of tears. There is no condemnation. Paul is addressing those who come to believe the gospel, but he really, as I said, he's talking to himself. And here's, how do we get better? At the end of the chapter, we talk about this, and if you want to look at verses 28 through 39, I'm not going to read all of this, but how do we get better Living in this victory, church. What do you think? How do we get better if we believe this? Okay, nothing can stop us. Nothing can harm us. You can say that. Give me something tangible. How, how can you trust in the victory that we already have? 
What are some things you could be doing daily in the morning potentially? Maybe in the Word of God, right, every day. In the Word today, crosstrain.church, sign up on the bottom. In the Word today, put your email, comes right to your inbox. I love it, okay? can be in God's Word to remind you of the promises that are there. What else? Say thank you first thing. So, and I'm going to get to you in a second because I want to hear it, but I'll tell you right now, um, my brother Eli and I have had this thing going on where we, where we're praying for each other, praying with each other, and we're focusing on certain things. And what we talked about was, hey, let's pray on just worshiping God first and foremost in our prayer. Instead of, oh, God, I'm so busy. And I'm so busy, and I want this and this and this. And, and this. I want, I want, I want, I want, I want. Please, 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 please. Boom, amen, good. Never once recognizing. If you really were in the presence of a king, you'd be on your face, people. And you'd be just grateful to be there. Are we? I have a heart of thankfulness. Sir. Gratefulness, nobility, and kindness. So he said, what was your name? Steve. So he said, keep your mind on three things. Gratefulness, nobility, and kindness. Humility. Yes. Well, and nobility, too, because we're kings and princes, right? But humility, gratefulness, humility, and kindness. Perfect. It's very, very, very difficult to think about other people and how bad your life is when you're focused on how grateful you are just to have your own life. And how humble we are, how humble we should be to have even a Bible. Okay, Brian, again, I think it was wonderfully said this. How many of us, by show of hands, have one Bible that we own? Okay. Walk with me on this, okay? Keep it up. Two Bibles? Three? Four? Five? I don't know, bro. I don't know. More than that. You see what I'm saying? Like, we have the privilege to have these Bibles all the time. And if you can raise your hand, you have a Bible. I want you to picture what it's like for those who never had one. And, and go, okay, well, what do you do with that? It shouldn't be a, a bookend for other things. It shouldn't be a coaster for your drinks. It should be used and abused. My, one of my brothers, who is a pastor, he has a Bible that he refused to get rid of. He's duct taped the binding together. Right? He's like, well, my notes are in here. You know? so, but he refuses to get rid of this Bible. I'm like, well, that's awesome. Hopefully you can read it with all your notes. Right? I'm telling you, gratefulness, humility, and kindness. And that's awesome. I appreciate that. What's that? Well done, and give, I'm going to say what he, I think is what he said is, I just want to give up the control of my life and love Jesus. That's what I think I heard him say, but again, I'm kind of far away. So that brings us to our fifth and final pillar, the fifth therefore statement. Go to Romans 12. Romans 12, 1. Some of you listened when I said up front we're going to Romans 12. So Romans 12, 1, Marco, bro. It's good for you. It's up there on the screen. You can follow along. I want you to read it in your Bibles, though. All of us have at least one. You just admitted to that. That's something else, too. Just because Pastor Doug is not here, do not think for a minute I'm not going to tell him that all of you said you had Bibles. So when you come to church and you don't have a Bible, you have to deal with Pastor Doug, not me. <laughs> Romans 12.1 says, Therefore, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship, Romans 12, 1. And 
because that's true, how can you respond to what Christ has done for you? How can you respond? What and, and who then can you live your life for is really what I'm asking. And you say, well, I'm living my life for Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. And it has been, can you guys agree, it's been an outstanding service today already. Spirit's moving. God's people are active and engaged. But think about the first part of what I asked. How will you respond to what Christ has done for you? Because it says there, I reference it all the time on the wall, you shall be my witnesses. It doesn't say you shall go home and go to sleep. You shall take what I said and do nothing with it. It doesn't say that. Christian had his hand up. He was stretching, but now I'm going to call on him. Go ahead, Christian. How can you respond to what Christ has done for you? That's perfect. I don't know that I can remember all of that, but I'm going to try to I'll, I'll recap it. We were chosen and saved on purpose for a purpose, and that purpose is to give what we have taken in into other people and the lives of other people. Is that fair? Okay, let me ask you a question. Do you guys have songs in your minds that you've memorized? Everybody's like, oh, yeah, rocker, right? You know how you get songs memorized? Tell me. Like over and over and over and over and over and over in our house, we're always singing. There's always stuff, and people are over and over and over. Hey, for you parents that have your kids, right? How do they learn how to spell A B C D E F? Over and over again, over and over again. How can you get God's word in your soul to puncture, to puncture that hard heart? How do you get it in there if you're not over and over and over again? Because if you know, I'm sure there are a lot of people that would just love to take that little pill. You know, Oprah sells those little things, right? You can just go ahead and lose 100 pounds here next week, right? Just take that little pill, little gospel pill, and you'll have God's word just in you. As Teresa, that's a lie for the pit of hell. You're right. I love that. I love the intensity. As she has her drink, she's like, hello. But this is important to understand. If we are not willing to engage, how do you respond was the question to what Christ has done? How do you respond to the four other pillars? How do we go ahead and understand that our spiritual service of worship is actually to build in the lives of people? It should be in the Word of God. What are some other things that we can be doing with God's Word, for example? What could you do with it? You could share it, but... Okay, you could feed the hungry. So, I know you guys hear a lot of gas station stuff. We can be at the gas station and talk about all this stuff, but what... What does it take to have gentleness, humility, and kindness in a world and in a place and in a work for my work as a police officer where there isn't any? Where people are like, I hate you. Why? You're a cop. Well, you don't even know me. I had a 30-minute conversation with a homeless guy on Thursday night who left saying, this was the best conversation I had all day. And then the man literally pushed his cart with few belongings as it was cold, right? And his little dog and said, hey, I hope I run into you next week. I'm in uniform. I told my wife, I said, I, I don't even know what to do with that. Because God was there in that moment, showing humility and kindness. I said, you're no different than me, man. 
And if we believe that, why don't we talk about it? And we did for 30 minutes. And so now maybe he doesn't hate cops. Maybe he's looking for people that want to share the good news. And if he runs into one of you all, you know, all y'all, plural Texas, right? If he runs into you guys and you don't share that message, what does he now think about the power of God's grace? It doesn't exist. Oh, it was all fine and good for that cop, but you all don't live it out. So why do I care? We care because there's something more at play here. So read God's word. Respond to what he has for it in your life. I want to invite the worship team up as I kind of come to a close and land this plane. Is that? Yes, we're going to worship through music, as Emma said. We are going to bring the music team up. We are going to worship now through music as I conclude it. So listen, here's my challenge for you. I'm going to give you guys something. You have homework. You have homework with me. So if you don't have something to write on, you should just remember this then, okay? Based on... Everything that we've covered today, these five pillars, can you understand really what the book of Romans is there for, right? The book of Romans is there for us to feast well and then to invite others into this great dining hall of the righteousness of God through his grace, through his choosing of you in election, through his justification of blood atonement on the cross. That's what the book of Romans is for. And then we end with what we do with this in our lives. So, during the time, we're going to have a time of reflection. There's a couple songs left. During the time of reflection, which would be like in our first song, here's what I want you to do. And I, I pray that you guys answer that question. What's the book of Romans there for in my life? I want you to write down the answer. How can I take what I'm learning, especially in Romans, and bring it into my life personally and into the lives, the lives or life of at least one other person. And I, I want you to write it down, physically write it down. And I want you to keep it in your Bible. Because we all have winters, dark winters of our soul. We all have people we know that aren't saved. We all have moments where we think, I can't do what you're asking me to do. I can't. But God can't. He did. Do you trust him with that? Will you trust him with that? Can you write that down? That you'll trust him with that. God, I trust you. Look at our time, our fellowship, and look at the wall here, the prayers of the saints. Go look at a card. Just go look at a card and see what the people are crying out for prayer from our church. They're asking us to pray for them. Have you gone over there? Do you know what the people in this church are working through and trusting God with? Because it's these promises we're finding in the Bible. Pray with them. In our fellowship meal, continue this conversation. Here is what the Bible is there for. Here is what Romans is there for. And in the lives of someone else, here is what you are there for. Please pray with me. Lord, I just give you glory right now in your majesty because you are good. And the word good doesn't cover what it should mean in my heart. I don't have a word to describe the majesty, the supremacy, the greatness, the holiness, the gentleness, the humility, the kindness, the peace that you've given us, that you've given me. I don't have words to describe that that would be appropriate enough. Instead, I find myself like Ezekiel eating the word and tasting that it is good. And like Isaiah, 
falling on my face saying, woe is me, I am undone in this moment. Lord, I pray that you bring people's hearts to the time where they realize that this is true in their hearts, that we will be witnesses for you. I pray, Lord, that during our fellowship meal, that the sweetness of your word seasons everything that we eat and talk about. And that, guess what, Lord? That we're, we're claiming that we don't actually want to be Sunday Christians. Let us be in the lives of people weekly into new married couples, into kids, into adults, into people who for the first time maybe have never heard about your goodness and your truth. Lord, on this people right now, I just claim your promises. And Lord, lastly, I pray for perspective. Perspective about my circumstances. Perspective about the things going on in the world. Perspective about what happens, as RJ said, in a couple days when we vote and we see a man-made structure under a God-ordained world. We see what you're going to do with that. Lord, give us perspective. Give us perspective to see that you are eternal and you're above that. And the hand that can move rivers will move the hearts of kings and create and destroy governments as we've seen historically in your word. And Lord, bring us a perspective that your word should be treasured more than anything else. Lord, we love you and we love your word. And I pray for us to be emboldened, mighty ambassadors that have a message that we bring forth to the people in the world that need to hear us, sometimes even in our own homes. Lord, we know you love us this way. Let us feel that love even in this moment. In the name of Christ and all people said, amen.